0: You know, C.S. Lewis, he penned a book entitled The Screwtape Letters. Uh, some of you may be familiar. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've read it. Uh, but basically, Screwtape is a, what we might call an experienced demon. And in the book, Screwtape is writing letters, okay, that giveaway there, uh, to his young nephew who goes by the name uh, Wormwood, And the the book is basically a number of letters that Screwtape is writing to Wormwood, and he's coaching him on how to successfully tempt uh, humans. And his advice that he gives to Wormwood is this. He says that that the best strategy to keep humans on the road to hell is not to tempt them so much with the big sins, right? Not to tempt them with things like uh, adultery or stealing the, the, the crown jewels, or whatever we might consider to be a big sin, right? He says, the way you keep them on the path to hell is with maybe little sins, or even better yet, get, in, get them engaged in activities that really have no eternal consequence, right? So this is what he tells uh, Wormwood to do, and he writes this in, 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 his, in the book, and you can read it here on the screens. Screwtape says to this to, to Wormwood, It does not matter uh, how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turns, without milestones, without signposts. Hold that thought for just a moment. Tonight we're going to be giving our attention to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4. And when we parachute down into the book here, we enter into what is really a practical section uh, of uh, the book of Ephesians. And in this section in chapter 4, Paul is is working through five different sins that can be not only devastating uh, to the family of God, us in this room, it can also be devastating uh, to our biological households uh, as well. And the types of sins that we're looking at here are what we might call the small sins, the insignificant sins. Uh, he mentions uh, lying, and anger, and, and stealing, uh, coarse language, unforgiveness. These are the sins that he's working through in the text that we're looking at tonight. And these are the types of smaller sins that that screw tape wants us to believe that they don't add up to much. They're minuscule. They're they're tiny. They're trivial. Uh, It shouldn't matter if we tell a little white lie here here or there or or if we steal. These things don't really matter. It doesn't matter if we lose our temper uh, just a little bit. Yet yeah, what Paul wants us to see that these sins are not trivial at all, right? He knows what screw tape knows that is that these can be quite damaging. For, for these are like the, as in the Song of Psalms, it talks about the, the little foxes that, that spoil the entire vineyard. Yet yeah, these are the little sins that, that can, can edge their way into a church, but also into a home, and they can, they can cause great destruction. So what I want to do tonight is two things. We're going to exegete uh, verses 26 and 27 of chapter 4, and then we're going to look at some practical advice on how we can protect our homes uh, against the danger of anger. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, I'll read it to you. It says, "'Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil.'" So, pretty simple. Two verses. You're thinking this is going to be a short sermon. Well, we'll see. All right? So, the first thing he gives us here is one command. We've got one command broken up here into kind of two parts. And then after the command, we have a kind of a two-part explanation for how to obey that command. Okay? So, that's what we're working with here. But we begin with this this idea of of, of being angry. He says be angry. And and this word here, perorgasmus, is referring to, not, not referring to necessarily a momentary outburst, right? Because sometimes when we think anger, we think of someone who's, who's just overwhelmed with anger. Uh, I can't help, because of the kids that I have and what they watch on YouTube, I can't help but think of Tyler with Dude Perfect, with the rage monster. Some of you, you're nodding your head, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not the type of anger so much we're looking at right here, the types of fits of, of rage. What, what Paul is referring to is more of that, that ongoing, that lingering anger that results from some provocation uh, in our life. And this type of anger, it can be a good emotion, it can be a bad emotion, it just depends on, on what lies beneath, what are, what are the motives to it. You know, in Acts chapter 17, Luke is describing uh, the Apostle Paul as he's walking through the, the city of Athens. And if you remember, uh, Paul is walking through the city, and he's not so amazed by the architecture and the beauty of the city, but what does it say about his response? He's provoked. He's provoked in his spirit because of what he sees, all the idol worship. And that's the same type of word that is used here. So what we see is Paul, he he legitimizes this idea of righteous indignation, this idea that, that we have a right to be angry at certain times. You know, even Jesus was angry at times, wasn't he? You know, a number of years ago, I guess it's been over 20 years ago, uh, we had an Easter play here at 9th and O. Hard to believe, but I played Jesus, okay? I played Jesus, but one of my favorite things to do, uh, you know, I guess I'm a physical actor, comedian, you know, whatever, but they would have this table over here. This was for the money changers in the temple, right? And it was a lot of fun to take that table and just flip it and to see the faces of the people in the first couple of rows as I flipped that table over, um, and, you know, obviously reenacting Jesus' reaction in the temple when he sees how people are abusing uh, the temple. But what we see about Jesus' anger, and this is what's different from our anger. When we get angry, we're angry because people mistreated us. We didn't get what we deserve, right? When Jesus is angry, do you ever notice that his anger is because of how other people are mistreated? You know, he, he's, he's angry when people's well, other people's welfare is violated. That's a big thing that we should take note of, of how his anger is, 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 is positioned towards others and not himself. But, you know, we should abhor uh, injustice. It should make us angry when we see ungodliness and immorality. And, I, you know, we've all seen things, we've heard things, we've been watching the news, and, and we get so angry when we see that. Uh, you know, a number of years ago, Uh, I was traveling with a team to Ethiopia. And they were sharing with us a story that if you go to the airport on a particular given day, at a particular given time, and it kind of makes me angry even thinking about it right now, uh, they said that you can go and you'll see a a lobby uh, waiting to load at a gate uh, to go down a plane, and it'll be just a group of just young girls. And they're all being sold into human trafficking. It's every single week, same flight, you can go there every week and see it. And I just remember thinking, how in the world can we not stop this? How can we not do anything about that? See, that's the type of things that, that there really is a right to be angry. So when, when Paul uh, says, be angry, there really is legitimate reasons. And the reality is, sometimes even in our homes, there's a right to be angry. There's a right to be upset. There's a right to be mad, uh, you know, at, at someone's laziness or, or things that they have done. So there is a space that Paul creates here that says it is okay to be angry, But one of the things that that we also know here is that anger can be a friend, right? It can be a friend because it indicates to us sometimes that that something's wrong. So sometimes the Lord provokes our our spirit just like he did to the Apostle Paul when he saw the temple worship in Athens. Sometimes it's it's an indicator in our spirit something is wrong, something needs to be done. But then Paul says, be angry, but then he has the hard part. He says, do not sin. Okay, it was really easy till right then, right? We were feeling really good about ourselves. But he says, do not sin. That's the hard part. And for humans, when we get angry, you know, even when it's a righteous anger, it's nearly impossible for that anger to not become uh, unrighteous. We cannot, we can't keep it up. We cannot uh, keep sin from entering into it because we lack the holiness to really wield the temptation of perpetual anger. We lack the holiness uh, to wield the temptation of perpetual anger. You know, I think of in, in, in terms of Scripture, examples we have, Jonas, uh, Jonah was the first one to come to mind. When you think about how angry he was toward the Ninevites and their ungodliness and their disrespect to the Lord. Uh, but eventually, he gets in trouble, right? The Lord tells him to go and to, to share the message of repentance. And, and Jonah's like, nope, not doing it, I'm out. So that's where we see an example of a righteous indignation that turns uh, sinful, You'll see a couple pictures here on the screen. <laughs> this is from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is the movie out here. There's a book about it as well, um, but this is Schmiegel here on the right side. Okay, and if you're not familiar with the Lord of the Rings, uh, it's about a ring uh, and it's very powerful. And it's so much power. There's so much power in this ring that that no person. Can not be changed by it. It's overwhelming. No one has the character um, or the ability to handle the power of the ring. And so the temptation is that you want to put it on and tap into the power of the ring. So this is Schmeagel on the right. Now, if you wear the ring for 500 years, you're going to look a lot like Gollum on the left. Okay, this is what happens to him over 500 years. And we see an obvious change to the outside of of Schmeagel, don't we? But really, the, the worst thing that's happened is there's been such a decay to the soul of Schmeagel. And if you watch the movie, you understand, uh, you, you understand Gollum, he can't even do the right thing. Uh, he's overtaken by the evil power that the ring possesses. And I couldn't help, but when I was reading this text, and this might give you an insight into my mind, I couldn't help but to think of Gollum and how he could not handle the power, and eventually the power of the ring corrupted his soul. And as I as I thought about this text, I think that that's truly how it is with anger. We hold on to it, and it begins to destroy us. And we may not look like Gollum on the left there, but but on the inside, we our soul becomes corrupted. James 1.20 says, "For the anger of man does not provide the righteous does not produce excuse me the righteousness of God." And you know, ongoing anger—it's just too hot to handle. And some of you are in here, and you might be thinking, "Good thing I'm not an angry person." You know, I can kind of just tap out of the sermon right now. It's it's not my problem. Uh, But I have a feeling that maybe you struggle with anger even if you don't realize it. Uh, You'll notice on the screen a number of different uh, types of anger I want us to take note of. And these come from a book entitled, uh, A Small Book About a Big Problem with Ed Welch. And Ed Welch goes through three different types of anger, okay? Unfortunately, you're going to find yourself on the screen. So just, uh, just prepare yourself. The first one is hot anger. Okay, This is someone who struggles with, with jealousy or, or wrath, quarrels, rage, hate, envy, violence, even abuse. So when we think about anger, maybe when you first re- heard that the sermon tonight was about anger, maybe that's what you assumed it was about. Okay, That makes sense. It's the most obvious, right? The second type of anger that, that Welch uh, speaks of is cold anger. Okay, this is, uh, you ever been ghosted? Uh, This is, this person has a cold anger. This is a silent treatment, withdrawal, indifference, the cold shoulder, keeping score, uh, criticizing. So this might sound a little bit, maybe, maybe we're kind of tapping into you just a little bit on this one, right? The third type of anger that Welch talks about in his book is covert anger. This is kind of that hidden anger, Uh, sarcasm, grumbling, complaining, gossip, uh, defending, annoying, frustrated, uh, eye-rolling, entitled. Uh, and, and so these are the, the, the three different types that we look at, okay? So maybe you found yourself in there. Uh, maybe you qualified for all three. I don't know where you stand. But the reality is to be angry is to be human, right? This is who we are. This is what we do. And it's a struggle for each one of us. So if you came in here and thought, this sermon isn't for me, I have a feeling it might be for you. And that's probably why Paul put it in the book. So how do we go about being angry yet not sin? Okay, that's the key. That's what we all came here for tonight, right? Well, we have two insights here that Paul gives us. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I remember as a kid watching the Brady Bunch, and uh, they would always talk about in in that show, if you ever watched it, to to not go to bed mad. I don't know if any of you ever remember that. Maybe this is where they got it, but this idea that you you, you shouldn't hold on to anger. And But what Paul isn't saying here is that you have to let go of anger by sunset every day. Uh, if that were the case, I'm moving to northern Norway. Because in Norway, from May to July, the sun does not set. So I got a lot of time to stew in that anger. Um, I kept thinking, where is the lightest, the longest? So I looked it up. But, but nonetheless, that's not what Paul is saying. So we shouldn't take what he's saying here literally, but we should take it seriously, right? And as a general rule. We don't want to stew in anger. Uh, we don't want to, to sit there in it and not do anything about it. Sometimes the Lord wants us to be proactive. We need to handle things. We need to address things. We need to, to talk to a brother or sister in love, deal with things. And there are other times when the Lord says, you just have to sometimes let things go. Sometimes you just have to let things be, and maybe it's not as big of a deal as you think it is. So he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. So let's not hold on to it too long. But then he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. And here's the deal. Satan, he is a master at taking things and perverting things. He will take things that are not initially sinful, and he will make them sinful. He does this all the time. You know, you think about how much in our world we see things that that are converted from, from love to lust, right? Or we think about how often we see people who maybe begin with a, a strong, good work ethic, but it, it turns into like greed and, and, and some type of, uh, those people talking about workaholic. You know, this is what Satan does. He He takes what are sometimes good things, oftentimes good things, and he perverts them. He turns them into something else. And here's the reality. We are a fool if we think we can delineate where those lines are, right? We are a fool if we think, oh, I can handle this much anger, or I can be angry this long before it turns into sin. You know, that is, that is, that's foolishness to think that we're able to do that. So we have to be on guard. You know, uh, earlier, uh, Gabe was uh, praying and speaking of uh, Satan like a lion, uh, a prowling lion, a, lo- uh, a roaring lion. Uh, but, you know, before he's a roaring lion, you know what he's doing? He's hiding in the tall grass, isn't he? That's what Satan does, he, 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 he gets in that tall grass and he waits to pounce. And when is he waiting to pounce? He wants to strike at just the right time, when we're approaching that line of, of falling into sin, right? And it can be any type of sin. Tonight we're obviously talking about anger. But Satan, he longs for us to take our anger and he wants to convince us that how we feel, and then, the best part, how we act is justifiable. So that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to always feel justified in what we think and how we act. And how we act is not our fault. They're the ones who did it to me, right? And, and, and that's when we can get ourselves into real trouble. So whatever your source of anger may be, whether it's on the covert list or the cold list or the hot list of, uh, of anger, Satan doesn't care. He doesn't care if you struggle with, with fits of rage. He doesn't care if you, you deal with, with grumbling or, or criticism. All he wants to do is he wants you to do that. He wants to water that in your life. He wants to, to fertilize that in your life. And he wants to make it grow. And all he cares about is that over the long haul, it will slowly destroy your life. That's what Screwtape was saying to Wormwood. That's why we can't hold on to anger. And, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he, again, he doesn't care what type of anger it is as long as it's poisonous to our soul. And here's a, here's a lie about anger. Anger can make you feel powerful in the moment, but in God's economy, it's often a show of just weakness and despair and desperation, you know, sometimes we, when we're angry, we get to act out. We finally get to have that control of that moment, right? That's what it feels like. But it's really not an act of power at all. It's really an act of weakness because we're giving in to temptation. We're giving into to that sin. And the reality is, man, when, 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 we, are, when, when we allow uh, ourselves to be overtaken by anger, we rend, really render ourselves as like a servant to someone else. We don't want somebody to control our emotions. We shouldn't uh, allow a situation to c- control us in that way. So we have to be careful that we don't render ourselves to be a servant to the one who has hurt us. In Proverbs 16, 32, we read, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. So what we see here is this idea that restraint is a show of, of strength oftentimes. If you're in an argument, is it easier to go off or to restrain? We all know the answer to that, Right. And that's what Proverbs is saying as well. So, so what is Paul saying? He's like, don't hold on to anger. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your life. You know what that looks like. You know what that temptation is for you. So how do we take what Paul has said here? How do we move this into steps for protecting our home against the danger of, of, of anger? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time uh, looking at. As you look at the book of Ephesians, if you study through the entire book, the first kind of, the first four chapters are really more, um, excuse me, the first three chapters are more theological in nature. And then when he goes into chapter four, we kind of move into the, the practical. And the theology should influence how we live, right? And so Paul is fleshing out how this is all lived out. And he writes in the, in the opening verses of chapter four, he says, walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, okay? And that's what's on this little card that most of you have near you. If you don't have this card, because some of you sat close to each other tonight, you must like each other, you're not angry at one another. Uh, But there's plenty of these cards in the room. You can pick one up afterwards. But as I was thinking about this section where Paul is talking about all these different types of sins, this was the opening words. This is what he says that we need to do. This is, this is how we fight anger and other sins in our lives, right? Is, and one thing I would suggest to you is just to memorize scripture, to memorize this scripture specifically. And when you're struggling, and even better, when you're not struggling, to, 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 to pray these words to, to our Lord, to pray, Lord, help me to walk in a manner that is worthy of what you've called me to do. Lord, help me to, to, to with my family today, with my, my coworkers, with my friends. Help me to be humble. Help me to be gentle. Lord, give me an extra portion of patience today because Lord, I know myself and I know that I'm going to need it. Lord, help me to bear with my brothers and sisters who are sinners just like me. Help me to bear with them in love. Man, we gotta do a lot of bearing sometimes, don't we? Lord, I need that in my life. So that's what it might look like for us to how we deal with anger is we prepare our hearts by even putting scripture in our minds and in our hearts and, and we, we memorize this scripture and we say it in our prayers in the mornings and when we're struggling with anger in the heat of the moment, We pray, Lord, bring those words to my mind. Help me to be humble. Help me to be gentle. Help me to be patient, Lord. Help me to be. Help me to bear uh, with my brothers and and sisters um, as as we work through these things. So that's one thing I would say. Is this is uh, one simple thing that we can do: memorize Scripture. Another uh, thing we can do is we can just meditate on certain truths in God's Word. And I started to think uh, this week about what are the different um, uh, meditations or different thoughts from Scripture that have, would be helpful to me. And one of them is, it's good to ponder the rights to anger that Christ forfeits. It's good to, 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 to ponder the rights that, to anger that Christ forfeits. And we read about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And we see that he suffered mightily. He didn't deserve to suffer, but he suffered. And one of the most powerful Verses in scripture is when Jesus is on the cross and he says to them, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's amazing. Oh my goodness, I don't think I could ever say words such as that. But that should inspire us. We should ponder what what had to be true of Christ's soul for him to be able to say, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they do as he's being crucified. So let's remember we don't always have to fight, we don't always have to be justified in the moment. Sometimes we have to forfeit those rights. I think we also need to ponder the enormity of forgiveness received by believers. And, and, and you think about all the sins you've committed, you're going to commit tonight, you're going to commit tomorrow, and the rest of your life. When we start to ponder the mountain of sin, that should, that should tone us back a little bit. That should cool our jets just a little bit as we think about maybe our anger towards other people in situations. And know sin, sinful anger is just so ugly because it 's for the believer because it 's so accusatory it 's so angry it 's so accusatory yet it totally lacks love and understanding and just self awareness of what we 've been forgiven so that 's another thing that I would say ponder the enormity of forgiveness that we 've all received in this room. also understand the skewing that sin does to one 's perception. understand that that we are sinners and it is it is impossible for us to always see situations exactly the way they sh- we should. Why? Because we got this giant plank in our eye, you know, and, and we, gotta, we, we, we struggle to, to keep it out of our eye. Uh, so I think that's another thing that as we, we think about anger, let's think about even the own sin in our lives and, and how we're We we're not able to see situations as, as well as we think we might be able to. Another one to ponder is, is that God will rightly settle all accounts. God will rightly settle all accounts. And, and this is sometimes hard to be patient, isn't it? But we know that, that vengeance is, uh, is, is the Lord's. And, and so, t- so often, uh, the other thing is that time ends up being our advocate. You know, oftentimes we, we want to, to, to settle things. We want to, to fight. We, we, we want to fight for our namesake or our, our reputation or whatever it might be. But sometimes the Lord says, no, now is not the time to fight. You've got to wait on me. And I've seen in, over the years is, is you'll see people who are wrongly accused of something. But over time, what happens is you're able to eventually see the truth. So sometimes we have to allow time to be our advocate in situations. That's not easy to do, but that's what we have to do sometimes. And the last thing I would say that, that we meditate on is that God is working for the good of believers. We have to believe in a good God, a God that loves and cares for us. And if we will ponder all of these things, it will really tone down our anger and help us to have a more Christ-honoring attitude towards others. Now, some specific advice as we think about just spouse to spouse. Uh, What what would I say to you as you think about how to to handle the topic of anger uh, with your spouse? And these are some things that even Lydia and I uh, discussed was this sounds like uh, simple, but it's not always easy. Assume the best of one another. Uh, assume the best of one another. And I think that that, that seems like we would do that naturally, uh, but we don't always do that. So we need to have a concentrated effort to daily thank the Lord uh, for, for our, our spouse's strengths. And focus in on that. Because, you know, when you live with somebody, uh, it, can be, it, can be, it can wear you down, and it can be exhausting. And if you're not careful and you're not guarded, you can begin to see all the weaknesses and none of the strengths. But if, it's amazing what happens and how the Lord uses prayer in our own hearts when we pray for people, we thank the Lord, we focus on the good things, and all of a sudden we begin to, to, to see them in that way. And it's also just an antidote against just bitterness that might be in our heart um, as well. So assume the best of, of, of one another. Another thing I would say is, is don't let anger blind you from seeing your spouse's uh, perspective. Uh, sometimes we get so heated or we want to we burrow down so hard in the position that we hold that we struggle just to step back and say, okay. If I'm going to make Lydia's case on this, and I had to make it to the best of my ability, what case would I make? If we, if we take that time, and we step back, and we slow down, and we try to understand where they're coming from, you know, that can oftentimes um, keep us from falling and stumbling into an anger that would be uh, ungodly. So we need to foster just understanding in our hearts. Uh, another thing I would say towards your spouse is this seems intuitive, but isn't always the case. And I wish it were always the case with me, and I'm sure you wish it were with you as well. But to pray for your spouse's holiness, to pray for their holiness, that's something we should do every day. We should pray for the holiness. And the other thing is that, that we need to remember, and man, I really, really, if I, if I had like a genie in a bottle, I, I would wish that I could be my wife's Holy Spirit. I really do. But I cannot be my wife's Holy Spirit. You know, she has a Holy Spirit, and he does a mighty fine job. And so I have to be patient on God to work in her, as she has to be patient for God to work in in my heart as well. So those are some of the things I would say just as you think about anger and bitterness and uh, between you and your spouse, easier said than done. But these are some things that I think uh, can be helpful. Now, when it comes to to a parent and advice I'd give towards a child Uh, uh, something I would say is that we should recognize the difference between age-appropriate behavior and sin, right? There is a difference between things that kids do and then sin. Okay, I want to call this sin, but I think it's just a boy being a, well, I won't say which kid it is of mine. (laughs) Yes, I've got all boys except four. But my son loves, we have like this platform in the middle of our stairs, and he loves to jump to the middle platform and shake the house. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain that the light picture is going to come out of the wall underneath eventually. And like, I don't know, for like two years, I feel like I've been telling him, this child, I won't say who it is, stop jumping. Stop jumping. You're shaking the house. You're going to destroy the house. And like, I don't think it's ever going to work. I think he's going to do it until his knees start to hurt. Um, and like, so like that's an example of maybe I was labeling that sin and disobedience, but maybe that's just appropriate behavior, okay? And I don't know if the smell in his room is appropriate behavior, uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we all have those situations uh, that we have to work through. But recognize just the difference, because we don't want to beat up our, our children over everything, right? You got to pick your, pick your spots, um, set the example in being more Christ-honoring uh, than than your child. That, that makes sense, right? We should. We should be the more mature person uh, if you're in an argument. Uh, hopefully, as they elevate, you're not elevating with them. Uh, you're, you're showing them what it looks like to be uh, mature. And, you know, there really is a, a, a temptation uh, to really... Uh, come down hard on our kids. And the reality is when you're older and, you're, and you have a, a bigger vocabulary and you've been in more arguments, you're a more seasoned veteran at arguing, you can really beat down your child if you want to. You know, you, you have the upper hand on them. You're, you're, you're stronger in these ways. And, but you can really damage the soul of a kid if you beat them up, right? So we have to be very careful uh, to set the example in being more godly. And really guarding against speaking in a way that's overly harsh and, and, and damaging uh, to them. Uh, because it's, it's a real show of weakness to, to verbally abuse your children. Uh, so we have to be on guard against that. Another thing I would say when it comes to, to parent-to-child advice is, you know, be willing to, to apologize. Um, it's good for children to hear their parents say, I'm sorry. Um, there was one time I messed up. And uh, today... <laughs> And I uh, had to apologize, and, and I hope, I don't know what testimony, I would ask my kids to come up and give a testimony, but it may not be what I want them to say, so I'm not going to ask them to come up. I would hope they would say they've heard me say I'm sorry on more than one occasion. Thank you, Riley. Uh, if we could get that in the video right there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but they need to hear me say I'm sorry, but they really, 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 really need to hear me say I'm sorry to their mom, okay? That's really important as well. So if you can't ever say you're sorry, then you're, you're a sorry fellow. So let's be, let's be all about saying uh, sorry and setting the example in, in those things. Now, when it comes to just like child-to-child advice, we don't have many children in here, but just here's some thoughts about as your children are interacting with one another and other kids, uh, teach your children the elements of a genuine apology. Uh, it is good just to slow down and to remind them, hey, here's the actual steps of what it looks like to say sorry and mean it with your body language and your words and your face and all those things. So it is good for us to slow down and say, hey, here's why it's important. Here's why you need uh, to do it. And, you know, learning to apologize helps children develop good habits for the future. Because if you are a believer... You're gonna spend your life realizing you're a sinner and realizing you're wrong, and you are you're never gonna run out of sorries. You're gonna be saying sorry until you're in your grave. So it is a good habit to understand I am a sinner. I mess up. I've got to say I'm sorry. I've got to learn the habit of saying that, and it shouldn't be something that that never comes out of our mouth. Also, apologizing trains uh, helps train our children to think differently uh, than the world. You know, are they're, they're, they're not our kids are not at the center of the universe. Um, they may think they are, and they're little sinners, so they want to be at the center of the universe. But unfortunately for them, Christ is at the center uh, of the universe. Uh, but, but apologizing and teaching them, uh, the, saying I'm sorry, it does teach them that they aren't the most important thing in the world. And, uh, you know, their feelings, while important, um, you know, we just have to guard against always thinking that what, who we are is most important. Another thing I would say towards just uh, advice for protecting your home is be proactive in protecting your most precious asset. Be proactive in, in that. And the reality is that, that some of you, um, I mean, this, this advice I've been giving for the last seven or eight minutes has just been phenomenal. I know that. But the problem is there's probably some issues that still aren't fixed uh, as, you, as you're still sitting here, right? You may need more help. And, and maybe you are so deep. Uh, in that hole that you've been digging for a long time, uh, that you need help beyond yourself, uh, and that you need the, the help of, of other brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside and to help you. And you know, the reality is that there's no better day than today uh, to ask for that help. And I, I'm in this, in a room this size, this many people, inevitably, there is someone in here that just needs to get on their phone. And after church, and go to your Gmail or whatever uh, email account you have, and you need to type in tsims at naobc.org and say, I need help in the memo line, and you need to send that to Pastor Tommy, and you and your spouse, or you and your kids, or just you, uh, you need to sit down and you need to talk to somebody, and uh, I hope you'll do that tonight. I hope you'll do that because I know that some of you need it inevitably, and you, you, your family's worth fighting for. And I know for men, and we have to lead the way in these things, it's very embarrassing. We don't want to admit these things. But that may be exactly what the Lord is calling us to do. Last thing I'd just say to you is that it's unbelievable when we think about Christ's ability to redeem things. Wherever you are tonight, and maybe you're still like, I still don't have an anger problem. Uh, I doubt that's the case. But maybe you're in here and like, man, I have major issues. And the people who love me and are closest to me, they know I got major issues. You can't, you can't hide it. I don't want you to know that all things are redeemable. Christ can redeem things. He can fix things. But we've got to be proactive. We've got to be people of prayer. We've got to be people who memorize Scripture. And we've got to be people who lean on the body of Christ. So I think that that's, that's all I have for anger tonight. I hope that it was helpful to you. I'm going to close in in prayer, and our our worship team is going to come and close us out tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just open up your word, because every time we open up your word, there is something in there for us. And if we open up your word and we can't find something in there, it's not because it's an issue with the word. It's an issue with our own life, with our own uh, holiness. Because, God, we know that your word is edifying and it purifies us. And, Lord, I pray tonight it was, uh, as, as we looked at this topic of anger and to be angry but not to, to, to fall into sin. Uh, Lord, I know this was challenging for many of us. It was challenging to me to think through these things. The, the reality is in too many of our households, anger is a real problem. And it's manifesting itself in so many ways. Lord, I pray tonight that we would be bold in, in defeating sin, attacking sin, and saying, Lord, we can't do it our own. We need you, we need your spirit, we need this church. In Christ's name I pray, amen.